Welcome into Tailgate. Austin Gale here with Mike Renner in sunny Cincinnati. Ready to review college football week 10, some risers, some fallers, all of that good stuff. Also, Mike Renner came out with a new mock draft, 2022 NFL mock draft. Going to break down some of that. At the back end of the show, interviews with Florida State Edge, Jermaine Johnson, and NC State's Peyton Wilson. Let's get it. to discuss on today's catching early buzz here and can we start with Shailene Woodley yes completely body bagging this random guy getting coffee I mean I've never seen an undressing like that in my life she came in hot and yeah she was prompted by some of the media spotting this random bloke holding a coffee somewhere and I don't know where he was Woodley disparages the man. Just Twitter search Shaylin Woodley if you haven't already. She posts her IG story highlighting all the reasons why this guy isn't Aaron Rodgers, including one. His feet are not nearly as big as Aaron Rodgers. And she says, I know Aaron Rodgers' body, all caps, very well. And his feet are a lot bigger than this, winky face. Your reaction to her taking to that level of detail? Well, it's hilarious, first off. Just looking at this guy... He's not big. Like, like Aaron Rodgers is 6'2", 225. Like, that is a large human being. This guy's objectively not. You know, you don't have to look at his feet. Oh, he's feet. aware now. He's you don't have to look at this aware. guy's feet. You could just look at literally any part about this guy to realize he's not as big as Aaron Rodgers. But she then also says Aaron would never drive this car. And That's it's driving like, a normal car. He wasn't even in that bad of a it's car. Like a, it's like a crossover SUV. And Aaron would never, apparently, drive that. Um, and then he also has the hairiest hands on the planet, she says. Um, so apparently Aaron has massive feet and hairy hands. Um, something that I'm into. She's into as well. That is, uh, I mean, it's not this guy's fault for being spot, like tagged as Aaron Rodgers. At least this guy's wearing a mask. So he's probably, no one actually is going to ever find out who it is. No, that's true. That's if true. he doesn't want to. It doesn't that. even, like, his face doesn't, like, even with the mask on, doesn't look anything like him. I don't think yeah. they even have the same haircut. Like, I don't understand how. It was quite the play by, who was the article written by? Daily know. Mail? Yeah, Daily Mail. Daily Mail's like, Aaron Rodgers yeah. spotted outside of this. Doesn't look like him at all. But Woodley had to get in her bag real quick. Sherlock Woodley <laughs> goes in, not his feet, not his hands, and he never drive that piece of shit car. <laughs> I love it. I freaking love it. That was one of my highlights of this morning. Other things to highlight here on the Catch and Early Buzz. Justin Fields looked good. Yeah. Justin Fields was awesome. Pushing the ball downfield in a game that they obviously lost. You could argue that Cassius Marsh and that whole taunting thing was a big reason this game was lost. But honestly, they were down in a lot of this game. Still, Bears don't – it doesn't matter about winning football games this year. Like, you are a team that is positioned to try and compete in 2022. My takeaway was – Justin Fields looks good, and I don't care if they got blown out. That's a huge positive for Chicago. This was the Fields we saw at OSU. Attacking down the football field confidently early in the snap. Five big-time throws. Average depth target 16.5 yards down the football field against a good Pittsburgh Steelers defense. Easily the most encouraging performance by Bears quarterback in some time. Since probably even before Trubisky. I mean, Trubisky, even when he had that, what, six-touchdown game, it did not grade as well as this game did for Justin Fields. So, great performance from him. Hot take, though. That was a taunting call. Like, that that was taunting. By the letter of the rule, as it's written right now, that wasn't a bad call. It. The thing is, 
the rule sucks. Like yeah. it's like it's like the stupid roughing the penalty, roughing the passer penalties. The rules suck as far as taunting goes. My, if you are going to keep taunting on the books, and Mike Tomlin said today, hey, we want to limit taunting. This trickles down to lower levels of football. We want to set a good example. He doesn't want like that. That's the reason for this. If you are going to do it. Do not make it 15 yards. Like, if you're going to have these rough in the pass penalties, these other penalties that are, I don't want to say accidental, but like are things that are obviously not going to completely legislate out of the game, make it so it's not a completely game changing thing that the refs aren't controlling these games, aren't basically like dictating outcomes by very subjective calls. Uh, I, I, that's the biggest thing to me is with those, with these pass interference penalties, there's another garbage one on Monday Night Football, Jalen Johnson against Deontay Johnson that was literally closer to offensive pass interference than defensive and got called. You cannot give the refs these massive sways. I said, the biggest thing, if you are going to keep these penalties as written on the books, limit how much damage they're doing. Don't make them automatic first downs. Make them five yards. Make them, you know, redo the down, whatever, but don't make them as impactful as they are because that, like I said, that put three points on the board for the Pittsburgh Steelers there when it was just a spur of the moment, stupid reaction that like was very much on the borderline of a taunting. Yeah, I don't think, I think you have to argue, I think you're right in that that was a targeting penalty. The problem is that these targeting taunting. penalties are in the NFL. I also think there's taunting. obviously an added emphasis on taunting penalties this season. In 2019 and 2020 combined, there have been more penalties called in 2021 than 2019 and 2020 combined. Like Obviously, the referees have been pressured or emphasizing taunting penalties and calling those this season yeah. compared to previous seasons. That's the concern for me, too. It's like, why are these unwritten emphases being placed on taunting rules that I don't think... Yes, you want to coach some of the unnecessary, you know, unnecessary emotion out of the game, stuff that maybe doesn't create like, good role model stuff for the younger younger parts of this game, but... Don't coach it to the point where it's a 15-yard penalty and automatic first down, like you said. Like it needs to be, it needs to be rewritten and re renegotiated because I don't think necessarily this is the best best way forward for the game. I think defensive, um, you know, roughing the passer stuff and and pass interference stuff also needs to be put into play as well. Do you think they'll ever bring back reviewing pass interference penalties? No, no. so I, I don't think reviewing is the right way to go about it. Like I don't think it needs to stop the game. I think the best, obviously, proposed. I don't know if it's even proposed. But the best solution would be a sky judge, a guy watching the game who is also a ref on TV with every angle at his disposal in front of him, that if he can judge in real time or with you know the X 10 whatever seconds that it takes to watch a replay, that it was a disaster of a call, that it was an egregiously obvious bad call, buzz down and say it was a bad call. Say, hey, sorry, we like it was did not take a rocket scientist to see you fuck that up. We're going to change this. That's the best solution. I, I don't want the when it was this is under review. actual yeah actual PI under review was a disaster and how that all went about. I do like the ability to though see that a call was objectively wrong on first glance and say hey that was bad. I mean the initiation of a sky judge. I mean that's what rugby has. A lot of other sports have like sky judge that can come over the top and say actually you're wrong. I think that is not unique to wouldn't be unique to the NFL. Like other sports do that and have success with it. I think that's what the NFL needs to do. And, and again, it comes back to the money that is going to be changing hands over these calls over the next, you know, it's only going to grow. There's these are going to dictate a large sums of dollars these calls and you're only going to have more questions about objectivity of these refs with that going on.
then that they need to get it right. That the whole oh the controversy is part of the part of the fun of football is going by the wayside. It is becoming that's not going to be good. The more you have that called into question, the objectivity of these when betting is so prevalent. Other catch and early buzz segment here. Wyatt Teller, Cleveland Browns guard, I think the number two graded guard in the NFL this year. Massive extension. He's now the highest paid guard on a multi-year contract. Uh, I think it was, what, four years, $58.3 million, $28 million in guaranteed money. Well-deserved. A guy that PFF loved on the draft board way back when also has graded super well over the past few seasons. Yes, and now the Browns have given big money deals, top 10 at every position contracts, to everyone but left tackle Jedrick Wills, who they used the top 10 pick on. Like, they have invested... And obviously, it's paying off dividends with that run game, with, uh, I guess, how that offense looked this past weekend. Um, but Wyatt Teller, that was a PFF success story, man. 52nd on the PFF draft board. He ends up going in the fifth round. We had him ahead of, famously, Billy Price in that draft. Mm. Austin Corbett, James Daniels, Mason Cole, Brian Allen ahead of all those guys. So that was that was a call that we... Uh, one of the few that PFF's gotten right over the years. <laughs> you love to see it. Take your laps now. Take oh, yeah. your victory. You know who's taking a victory lap? It's probably Wyatt Taylor with all that cheddar. Um, last thing here on the Catch and Early Buzz, I'm wearing this hat. It's new tailgate hats on PFF. Uh, you can definitely go check those out on shop.pff. No, pff.shop.com. I say it wrong every single time, Quinn. I'm sorry. But go check those out. And also, if you rate and review the podcast, send me a screenshot of that DM November 9th or after. I will send you a hat. First 10 people to DM me, I will send you a hat. PFF tailgate, love to see it. You can also use promo code tailgate on pff.com for 25% off any PFF subscription. That's promo code tailgate, 25% off any PFF subscription. Let's get into your mock draft. Is this mock draft trash? Yes. Number one overall, Detroit Lions take Kayvon Thibodeau. Not a lot of, you know, room to discuss there. Number two, Aiden Hutchinson. Yes. To the Houston Texans. Number three, Philadelphia Eagles, cornerback Derek Stingley Jr. Number four, Jacksonville Jaguars, Kyle Hamilton of Notre Dame, the safety. And at number five, the Washington football team grabbed Matt Corral, Ole Miss. Do you think it goes Kayvon Thibodeau, Aiden Hutchinson, edge one, edge two, one and two in the draft? I just think Houston Texans are going to go for the character pick in Aiden Hutchinson. Aiden Hutchinson is a high character guy. In the hardworking, every down guy. I mean, literally like the J.J. Watt of the, the next J.J. Watt. Now, he's not that talent perspective, whatever. No, no one's the next J.J. Watt. But that is what they're going to try. They are going to look for cornerstone pieces in this draft because they have uh, literally a crumbling uh, arch. They, they have, no, they have no, no cornerstone, no anything to build off of right now in that roster that I don't think it's going to be a quarterback. They still may go quarterback. Um, but that's just where I see the Houston Texans building at the moment. Am I crazy to think that Kyle Hamilton, could the NFL make the same mistake twice? And Kyle Hamilton has a Derwin James-like fall. fall. Like he comes into outside the top 10 because maybe the league is not valuing safety. He's not, you know, he, you know, we had, you know, coach BK on this podcast mm-hmm. and he said he's the most versatile player he's ever coached. Yeah. That versatility playing into it too. The same questions they had about Derwin James, where do you play him? All that stuff. Like, I think Kyle Hamilton is a rare talent. We've both talked about him as a blue chip talent, but I also would not be stunned when draft props come out that his number is closer to like nine and a half, eight and a half, and he maybe is rumored to slip outside the top 10 just purely out the position he plays and the versatility offers. It wouldn't surprise me. And I think the way 
the NFL is moving towards how they use safeties is even with them not being involved in the run game, say limiting their like value or how teams value them even more, you know, whether it's like the, you know, the Fangio defenses that have the too high shell stuff that is proliferating around the NFL that is, you know, killing Patrick Mahomes and Chiefs offense that, that like takes out responsibility for a lot of stuff that safeties have been asked to do in the past. And so like Kyle Hamilton, that would, I don't want to say completely take away a lot of the value he brings to the table, but if he's stuck in a defense like that playing 10, 15 yards off the line of scrimmage consistently, he's not going to be making as many plays around football on ball carries and that sort of stuff. And that if you are a defense that plays that, you might lean towards the pass rusher who can impact every single play who Mm -hmm. will be doing that if you are in this draft class because there are so many good pass rushers there are so many good defensive linemen so i could see it it would not surprise me i would also not want to be would not want to pass on him for a number of different reasons one because if you just want to put him at linebacker i think he'd be a damn damn good linebacker as well i also think we've talked a lot about the quarterback class and do you want to take one inside the top 10 because you're unsure of whether it's corral or willis or howell or whoever Mm -hmm. The Washington football team is one of those teams where I don't care where they're picking, they need to take the best quarterback available it. and just reset. Like, you need a reset yeah. at that position. You have a very good roster. If they come out of free agency without an Aaron Rodgers, without a veteran quarterback that can actually put them into contention, it makes no sense to me to leave this draft class without a QB and just, like, pitter around with a really good roster and a bad quarterback. Yeah. That is what you see a lot of these, like, league average teams doing. They're going to ultimately position themselves out of another quarterback in 2023 and all that stuff. I do think... I don't care if it's five, six, seven. You might have to just take the best quarterback available and swing that bat. I think they're also in an interesting position to do what they did in 2012, especially with this quarterback class. This is one I would maybe even advocate doing this year where take one of the first, and they'll likely be drafting at this at the rate they're going top 10. Take one of the first, and then take one of the fourth or the third or something like that. Double up at the position. Get two guys in there to develop. Um have some semblance of a competition or some semblance of like actual head to head in there and development in that quarterback room. Like they did when they had draft Kirk cousins after Robert Griffin third six New York jets take Alabama offensive tackle, Evan Neal. I think I, he could go higher than that. I, I just love that. I just love him and uh, Kai Becton and Elijah Bear Tucker. Line. They just have just the, the biggest, biggest monster of an <laughs> offensive line. That just is very appealing to, uh, I think, uh, gosh, why am I blanking on their GM's name right now? The top Joe Douglas. Joe Douglas. I just kept wanting to say Joe Judge, and I was like, that's How many Jets Joe. fans Joe commented saying we don't need an offensive lineman? Uh, I mean, Morgan Moses, one-year deal, going to be a free agent. They obviously would love to resign him, but you need an offensive lineman. I don't think anyone said we don't need an offensive lineman. Fair. Uh, New York Giants center Tyler Linderbaum, some offensive linemen coming off the board. Philadelphia Eagles at eight, grab George Karloftis, Purdue edge, nine. The Philadelphia Eagles again in this situation, obviously, season still has to play out. This is via the Indianapolis Colts. They grab Malik Willis with their second top 10 pick. And at 10, New York Jets with their second top 10 pick, grab DeMarvin Leal. I love that for the Jets. Evan Neal and DeMarvin Leal in the top 10, just bringing on absolute beef in the trenches, I think is the way to go. I think the Jets are in a very much long-term rebuild. They already feel that they have the quarterback of the future in Mike White. I mean, Zach Wilson. And I think that is what they're going to have to build on. I think investing in the trenches, especially with how good the trenches are in this class. DeMarvin Leal, Evan Neal, Aiden Hutchinson, George Karloftis, and you can even get to the depths of this first round. Drake Jackson, another edge, Charles Cross, Kingsley and Agbury, Adam Anderson. I mean, you're not, maybe not Adam Anderson, but like you do have 
a lot of talent in this edge group and this offensive line group as well. Yeah, the Eagles will be the talk of this draft. I mean, at this rate, with the Colts looking like Carson Wentz will hit the snap thresholds, um, with the Dolphins looking like they'll be bad enough to give them a top 10 to 15 pick, you're going to have an insane amount of draft capital to rebuild this roster with at the top of the draft. And do they go quarterback, though? You have Jalen Hurts, who is 15th in passing grade in the NFL. He is rank average right now as a passer from a, from a passing perspective. What do they do? I mean, like, and you could assume develop, like you developmental curve, whatever. He's only in year two and already giving you average quarterback play. But I think the thing that everyone always questioned with him and why he fell the second round was, can he bring you more than average? Can he actually win you games instead of just being a limited passer? That's a question they're going to have to ask because there are guys who are not limited passers in this draft class. There are a lot of guys who have tools for days. Obviously, Malik Willis going here in this mock has a much, much stronger arm than Jalen Hurts. But you could probably still win with Jalen Hurts I mean, if why you had a not? very, very good roster around him. Why not chase competition at the most valuable position in sports with, with, with Malik Willis? Like, Why not bring him in and not even just like name him the starter and move on from Jalen Hurts, all those things? Like, Why not be competitive at that position? Have Hurts and Willis go toe-to-toe. Yeah. And if Willis isn't ready out of the gate coming from Liberty, you do have Hurts there. And he continues to take that development that everyone wants. Like Everyone in Philly, I think, would argue they want to see Jalen Hurts continue to develop. And yeah. they want to still give him an opportunity like the Giants have given Daniel Jones. Like <laughs> two teams now have given mm -hmm. Sam Darnold. Like, give him an opportunity to develop. And that's fine. But adding a Malik Willis, who everyone would argue is an elite talent, has all these tools, in the top yeah. 10, yeah, it's a high investment. Maybe you could go get a blue-chip player in another position. But you are a team that's not – I don't care what blue-chip talent you take at off the tackle or edge. You are not competing until you have the quarterback, and you don't know that yet. Yeah. In this position now, to potentially add a competitive piece to that puzzle, I do think that – I mean, it's similar to the Washington football team. You have – talent there i think you have to bring in a competitive player i think uh, malik willis does make sense especially with the play styles that both he and jalen hurts offer i think it could be similar to a no i'm not putting this on either guys here but drew Brees, philip Rivers scenario drew Brees, three years into his nfl career was not the drew Brees that's going to make the hall of fame he was through more picks than touchdowns before they then draft philip rivers in 2004 because they have a top pick because San Diego was good the year prior. All of a sudden breaks out that year. And then you have a great problem on your hands. And obviously they kind of botched it by by Breeze getting hurt, letting him go to free agency. He doesn't get you know a massive contract. Um, but if you have Jalen Hurts turn out to be exceptional, um, all of a sudden that's you have then a quarterback who's a top 10 pick, who's a, that, a top 10 talent on your roster as a backup that – they don't really lose sort of yeah. value the, value the way doesn't other diminish. yeah the value doesn't diminish the way other positions do so i do think that they are in a position where i'd still would swing that bat if i am philadelphia especially when it's like you're not pick strapped where you don't have other avenues to rebuild this roster you got a ton of picks i mean we were on this podcast on monday talking about Mr. Trubisky potentially getting the first rounder, you know? I mean, these quarterbacks retain value. No, but I do mean that you know, if you did draft Malik Willis and Jalen Hurts turns out to be good, 
that's great. I mean, you have Malik Willis. You have, I yeah. do, we have this conversation every draft season. Yeah. If you have a good quarterback that you're still trying to develop, that you still don't know if it's the guy, yeah. and you're in a position to add you know, a consensus top 15, top 20 talent in the class at quarterback, I think you do chase that opportunity. All right, let's move forward here. 11, Giants, the New York Giants be the Bears here. Take edge defender Drake Jackson of USC. At 12, Atlanta gets the big man out of Georgia, Jordan Davis. 13, the Miami Dolphins take Charles Cross, Mississippi State, fast riser, offensive tackle. Minnesota Vikings grab Kyer Elam, Florida. Mike Zimmer continues to add into the secondary. Will it be Mike Zimmer? Will it be Mike Will Zimmer? Will it be Mike Zimmer? Kansas City Chiefs picking at 15, which would stun a lot of people from the preseason here, but they grab Edge, Kingsley, and Nag, Bree. Do so obviously with the Chiefs, that's a massive need that they have. Is it they are not one piece away along that defensive line, though? I think this is a this is an investment that they need to make in the draft. They need to make this in free agency. Their pass rush, their defense yeah. is one of the worst. They wouldn't be, in my opinion, as good as Patrick Mahomes is. They have so many holes. They could be a trade-down candidate. They're not a trade-up candidate. This roster isn't good at multiple levels on defense. And even offensively, we still are asking for that second receiver after Tyree Kill to show up. I wouldn't be surprised if the Chiefs don't meet expectations, say they do end up drafting in the late teens and the 20s. They don't go to the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. If they look more to like trading down and adding more talent because this roster is so far away, and they need, yeah. more than anything, cheap talent. They're paying Chris Jones. They're paying Frank Clark. They're paying Patrick Mahomes, Kelsey Hill. Like You can't keep... You need to add rookie contracts to this roster. Trading down, I would not be surprised if the Chiefs do that. Yeah, the interesting thing to me here is that Travis Kelsey is going to be 33 next year. Um, they are already struggling sort of with what they're seeing defensively and sort of capping these big plays that they used to get to Tyreek Hill. And if Kelsey, you know, you know injured at all play starts to slip you got nothing besides Tyreek Hill and for as good as Tyreek Hill is he's not like a Devontae Adams where it's just any route like you can rely on him to run he's kind of limited in the tree he still runs he's elite at it but like we've seen this year he's kind of been pumped these underneath targets and not necessarily uh they've defenses have done a ton to limit those deep crossers deep posts and all that other stuff that he has been so good at over the course of his career so Yes, they do need defensive end, but this is a team that also needs a wide receiver. So I do agree with you. If they are, if it does not go well, if they do miss the playoffs, if they, if things don't get righted, and I doubt that's the case. That's I think at some point they will. Andy Reid's one of the best offensive play cars in the NFL, and Patrick Mahomes, shit, is still that talented. I think it will get righted. But if it doesn't, they are in a position where they got, they need multiple guys not just they're not the sort of one piece away that they were trying to kind of attack this offseason moving to the next picks here uh starting with the new england patriots they grab adam anderson he wrote this mock draft before obviously the allegations that came out on adam anderson denver broncos at 17 linebacker christian harris out of alabama the browns at 18 garrett wilson ohio state love that with odo beckham jr now gone i think bringing in in-state talent garrett wilson would be sick 19 carolina panthers off to tackle ikem Iquanu, friend of the pod number 20 drake london usc another friend of the pod going to the los angeles chargers um what I noticed at the top of this mock, too, and I think it's very different to what others have had in their big boards, McShay, Kuyper, Garrett Wilson was the first receiver to come off the board, and he didn't even come off the board until 18. Yeah. You have Traylon Burks, Drake London, Jahan Dotson in the top 10 of other analysts' mock drafts. Do you ultimately see receiver falling this far, or is it still too early to tell? 
I believe so. I believe it's going to be much closer to the 2020 draft and how that fell at the receiver position, although we still saw Ruggs go number 10. But where guys who are good receivers fall down boards because there's still a lot of them. There's still a number of options, and there are other positions like edge that we've talked about that's very talented that everyone wants and that you can tell the guys you're – I'm not going to say easier to scout, but there's a better track record of scouting those positions. The traits that translate are, are evident. Like, you know, it's easier to identify the guys who have those NFL skill sets. So I do think that you'll see a run on places like edge, on places like offensive tackle, yet again in this draft class, and not necessarily wide receiver where there's maybe some like comparable skill sets that you can find on day two. Yeah, I mean, this is a trenches draft. You have, yes. and I'm going to recap the first like 15, 20 picks here. I mean, just like you, just from the guys I've said that are my first round locks segment. Yeah. It's like three quarters, I believe, are <laughs> O line or D line of the 11 we've done so far. In order, edge, edge, then you have a corner, say two defensive backs, QB, offensive tackle, center, edge, QB, edge, edge, yeah. <laughs> DT, OT. Corner, edge, <laughs> edge. It's going to be a lot of front seven, a yes. lot of um, offensive linemen and defensive linemen in this draft. And I think that's how it should be. Those are the most valuable players on the field. Like, off the tackles and pass rushers are the two highest paid non-quarterbacks in the NFL on their second contracts. Mm -hmm. Getting those guys when you do, and easier to project, There are it is better data, especially on PFF's case, seeing offensive line and defensive line translate some of the data that we do track at the collegiate level. Athleticism translates to the next level. Hello, Tristan Wirfs. Over the last two years, no tackle has allowed a lower pressure percentage in pass protection than Tristan Wirfs, who's been phenomenal this year. All right, 21, Pittsburgh Steelers. Kenny Pickett staying in Pittsburgh. Mm. Going to the Pittsburgh Steelers. I like that as a developmental. You know we can deal with the weather. Developmental quarterback prospect. I don't know how many years left that Ben Roethlisberger has. Keep him in Pittsburgh. He has 22. Neg negative years left. Did you <laughs> see that passing chart he had on Monday Night Football? It was the worst thing I've ever seen. It was, I think, all besides four completions were at the line of scrimmage. And then it's even funnier when you look, when you look at the one like deep completion. If you hadn't watched the game, you're like, oh, shit, a 40-yard completion. He underthrew it by like 15. It was like a dying duck that didn't even make it. He tried to give it all he had and didn't even make it 50 yards on field. Sad. 22, Cincinnati Bengals, offensive tackle Kenyon Green, Texas A&M. 23, New Orleans Saints, wide receiver Chris Olave. Number 24, Bucks take cornerback Ahmad Gardner. I like that fit for the Bucks. They continue to throw resources in the secondary. The Buffalo Bills, Andrew Booth Jr. Clemson, that's another thing too, is that this offensive line and defensive line class is going to push down some really, really talented defensive backs, man. There yeah. are some safeties in this class that a lot of people like. Jalen Catalan of Arkansas, Jaquan Brisker, Penn State. Obviously, you have Kyle Hamilton. And then in the secondary, Kyrie Elam, Ahmad Garner, Trent McDuffie, Andrew Booth. This is a very talented secondary class as well. People can really load up at non-quarterback positions in this class compared to last year. I think that the, the groups I like the most right now, defensive line, corner, Offensive line, those are the I wouldn't three. even say defense line, just edge. DTs are kind of weak. DTs are, yeah. th that's true. Edge, offensive line, corner, you're going to have, there is a lot of talent in yeah. that group. Because I would argue, too, with offensive line, it's not just a very good offensive tackle class. The interior offensive line is also phenomenal. Yeah. Linderbaum, Aquanu potentially kicking inside the guard. There is a lot of talent um, at those position groups. 26. Las Vegas Raiders, N'Kobe Dean, linebacker of Georgia, likely Bednark, winner, Dallas Cowboys, there's your safety, Jaquan Brisker, Penn State, 28, Green Bay Packers, wide receiver, Traylon Burks, 29, 
Offensive tackle, Trevor Penning, Northern Iowa. 30, Desmond Ritter, quarterback of the Cincinnati Bearcats, going to the Detroit Lions. You think they give that a swing of the bat? Do you like him enough to go in the first round? That one's tough. I I, I truthfully don't. I, I would not pull the trigger on him. I think he's a nice day two guy. I think he will come into the NFL and struggle with accuracy. But he has made big strides in that regard. He is definitely better there than he was last year. Um, the, the physically, arm talent, speed. I mean, he's probably going to run the four or fives, even though I'm not. He's more of a straight line runner, though. He's not like make a ton of guys miss. Like if he's in the open field, he's going to be tough to catch. But I don't think he's actually like ever going to shake guys. He got kind of like how Colin Kaepernick was. He's similarly like tooled to Colin Kaepernick. I, I think he's a little better uh, as a pure. You know, pocket passer, sort of, I think his release is a little quicker, but he is that kind of athlete where he's fast, has a cannon. Um, Colin Kaepernick goes you know, top of round two, and probably that's about the production level he got out of him with the 49ers. Have to stop this mock here. I'm going to read the last two picks and then break, jump to some news. Got Tennessee it. Titans, safety Jordan Battle of Alabama, and then you have the Arizona Cardinals at 32. Your guy to Mississippi State, cornerback Martin Emerson. Green Bay Packers. Uh-oh, don't do it to me. Are highlighted as the favorite. OBJ's favorite target if he or favorite destination if he does waivers. clear waivers. So that is from Jordan Schultz. Jordan Schultz who said... Literally, he's the guy for ESPN who does podcasts with athletes. He's very well connected. So he, Very well connected. No, he he said, probably Odell Beckham Jr. has prioritized the Packers as his number one destination should he clear waivers. Do you think the Green Bay Packers bite? And can Shailene oh, Woodley man. determine whether OBJ is a <laughs> random person on the street or OBJ? That's a good question, too. It's I don't think it's the Green Bay Packers biting. It's it would Aaron Rodgers bite. Fair. Did Odell get vaccinated? Did he do his research? Aaron Rodgers is going to ask these questions. He's got to have he's got to have answers for those before they're willing to sign him. I think I, I like it, man. I like OBJ the Packers. Why not? That's another quarterback. You know, we're talking about quarterbacks that OBJ is not going to complain about. Aaron Rodgers, is, you you don't get it. You don't get to complain about Aaron Rodgers. You'll be out of there in like a week. You don't get to. I do think that he take a discount, and I and I just with a proven quarterback like that, that's what OBJ needs. OBJ doesn't need Eli Manning. OBJ doesn't need Baker Mayfield, where there are question marks across the board. He needs literally the twenty twenty one league or twenty twenty league MVP to back him up. I will say this, and Devontae Adams, a perfect mentor. I, okay, I, I will say this: if he goes to, I, I've been banning the table. The Packers offense, and you saw it when Devontae Adams went, was out with COVID. Now it wasn't just that, but like they don't have a number two. They don't have a, a second guy that can get open on his own with any sort of regularity. Now, MVS coming back is a nice downfield piece, but he is still not like a guy who I would trust to win a slant. I don't think they have like any guy in that roster right now that they do besides Devontae. Odell, you can trust to win a slant. He's, while he's lost a step, he's not the Odell that was raking early on his career in New York. He is still. A, I think I called him. I was actually on Packers radio earlier today. I called him a high-end number two wide receiver in the NFL. And so the Packers, I've been saying forever, could use a high-end number two. It would take that offense into stratosphere of there's really no option or there's really uh, no like shutting them down. They have options. Then they would have options. A second high-end number two would give them options for everything. And also Odell going to them, there would be no sort of like free Odell. There would be like no like, oh, if Odell just had a quarterback, if Odell just like, Odell would not have any excuse to, ex to no reasons to complain. You know, if, if he's not getting targets, if it's not on the same page with his quarterback, 
you are it is not the hall of fame quarterback reigning league mvp aaron Rodgers' fault in those scenarios i sorry to break it to you if that's still the case so he so those sort of whatever that the the mental and uh relational issues relational in cleveland that were going on I would, also don't would think, theoretically not be there in Green Bay. I also don't think there would be a huge transition for OBJ to going from what he's doing now to eating clay. Kind of a similar, you know, take there. I think he's going to be able to make some plays on that. Front Same consistency. Well. Same consistency is what I'm saying. Like I think the clay transition is actually an easy one for him. And Probably honestly, a lot healthier. So it's also honestly, Shailene Woodley's got her next candidate to transform. All right, before we get into. Uh, more of the college football week 10 risers and fallers nfl fans hungry for a big win this week DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the nfl has you covered new customers can bet just five dollars on any nfl team to win their game and if they do you win two hundred dollars in free bets if sportsbook isn't available in your state DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings daily fantasy sports contest DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit download the DraftKings sportsbook app now use promo code pff Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and win $200 in free bets. If they win, you win with promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 years or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply to DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. On to our risers and fallers here. Starting with some wide receivers, man. Yeah. Jahan Dotson, who was on yesterday's episode, but we did the interview before this monster game where he broke the Penn State single-game receiving yards record. Then you got David Bell, who narrowly missed the Maxwell Award list. We were on that call debating whether or not to include him, and he goes to Michigan State, puts on an absolute show. It was it was in West Lafayette, not East Lansing, but still, Michigan State had no answers for David Bell. And then one of my favorite players to watch right now is the guy that's leading all of college football in receiving yards, Devin Tompkins. Utah State wide receiver that's like five foot eight barely, mm -hmm. 155 pounds. And he's got like two two Atwell vibes in a lot of ways for obvious reasons, in that he's like super small and fast. He but this tiny. guy, compared to Atwell, I will say, can actually attack the ball, has good contested catchability, and has hops for literal days. This dude, I, I am projecting 40 plus, 42 plus vertical here. He can absolutely hop and a half. He is a monster in that regard. Yes. He's more Jalen Darden than Tutu Atwell. Fair, fair, That's fair. Like, I don't mean is... to throw the Atwell yeah. tag on him, but he's small as hell is what I'll say. Yeah. So he is literally listed at 155 pounds. So you bet he's like 150 max. Yeah. I mean, 5'8", 155. But I would bet this guy can probably windmill dunk basketball at, at the very least yeah I mean, he's got bunnies and a half like he was he glides like legitimately just glides through the air three different times in this game high pointed balls over guys and he has five eight uh he's going to be an interesting evaluation for sure and how the nfl sees him because you know catch radius is a real thing when you're that small it, it's difficult to you know create windows for yourself down the football field but when you also can jump like that, it's a little bit different story. So I'm yeah, because catch radius is always a big thing, right? I mean, he can come in yeah. here and just like have like, still pluck it. So there's a this past week, there's a throw in like the end zone, back in the end zone. He beats guy with speed, but in the back of the end zone, this guy like legitimately, I thought the ball was overthrown, and he's mm -hmm. able to go up and get it. I I do think he is at least a watch for you guys right now. If you are big uh, and, and scouting some of these receivers, he is an interesting, interesting watch. He for Utah State. Yeah, uh, Dotson's probably borderline day one for PFF right now probably still I I like him as more of a 
middle of round two, middle late round two type of wide receiver. David Bell is the interesting one. I, I still don't see him as a pure separator, like compared to Dotson. Dotson's far, far better in that regard, but he's much bigger. He is physical after the catch, has the type of game that could translate to the NFL in that regard. And really, really good body control, man. Like he adjusts to passes so well in that Purdue offense that I, I'm, I need to I need to go back and see, like really dig into his routes more to see who this guy is projecting to the NFL level. Because again, true junior, rising sort of prospect. I uh, wasn't as high on. It was barely a top hundred player on the PFF draft board uh, last time we did an update. I I, I think. Um... A stat that I found interesting with Dotson, third most yak of any Power 5 receiver since 2020. He has been really good after the catch. And you go back into some of these other Penn State receivers that have had success after the catch. Deshaun Hamilton comes up, another guy that gained a ton of yards after the catch. I don't think they're that dissimilar. A lot of people loved Deshaun Hamilton for this route running yeah. prowess and his hands and that stuff. Dotson, I think I see in a similar regard. In some ways, I don't mean the same school scout and stuff like that, but I do think there Dotson's is... Dotson's got a little more speed. Deshaun, I think that was his biggest thing was that he was a little skinny, and then he was kind of like a low 4-5s guy. And like, you can be slight, you can be slow, you can't be slight and slow. I think Dotson's slight... But I think he's got a little bit more juice. He's not KJ Hamler juice, but he's got a little more juice. Um, for Bell, 22 broken tackles in college football, which leads all of college football at the receiver position. Hands for days. And a lot of people bring him up as this contested catch guy. But you do look in those situations this year, only nine receptions on 22 opportunities in those contested catch opportunities. You do want to see if you are going to be a contested catch guy and have a high percentage of your targets be contested. I think you want more of that. But I do think he has very sure hands. I think only two drops on the season. Those contested situations, defenders showing up big more often than not. Donovan West, the other riders you have here, the Arizona State interior offensive lineman. There's some Dyche too. Kellen Dyche, right? The offensive tackle for Arizona State Dish. also grading well. Dyche, excuse me. Uh, Herm Edwards recruiting some of the best there. Yes. So Wes, uh, we talked about, you said that it's a good interior class and it's more a good guard class than a center class. You got Tyler Lindebaum at center. And then I don't think we have a top three round grade uh, on, a, on any other center after that. So West could put his name into that center two category, uh, was a guard last year for Arizona state this year. It's been exceptional. Only three pressures allowed in the season in this game against USC is highest graded of the season's best run blocking performance. In my opinion, 84.8 overall. Um, if he declares, I think he's only Richard junior coming this year, or maybe even a true junior that he's not necessary to come out, but he could be, he has these sort of athleticism that you would want from, like I said, the guy who could be the second center on PFF board. Let's jump to Devin Lloyd. Devin Lloyd is interesting. I watched him this past week, and he's got such long legs and long strides that I don't feel like he ever looks like he's running that fast. But what he he can catch up in a lot of ways. And his angling to the football, he's often the first guy to make first contact on that Utah defense. And also a stone wall when you're asking him, you know, when you're yeah. asking guys to block him. He sheds blocks really well as well. I see him as a you know, from a as a run defender. He has been so impressive. Yes, in the Pac-12, and I think a lot of the comparisons will be between Lloyd and Nicobe Dean. But man, I do think every single week, you can only play the competition you play. He is one of the best defenders, if not the best defender on the football field. Yeah, and you know who he reminds me a lot of? And just from watching this year, Packers and Devondre Campbell, the way he's played, that's who Lloyd reminds me a lot of. Where it's not, 
he's not the true freak of nature athletically. Like he's not Devin White. He's not running like a mid four fours. He's not that sort of jaw dropping explosive. But he is very athletic. I, I would venture to say Devin Lloyd's probably going to run a four six, uh, where Devondre Campbell ran a four five eight coming out. But when they tackle guys, they it's just it looks different than other linebackers like they engulf they're so uh great at both the both lloyd and devonder campbell at wrapping up ball carriers in space it just comes so naturally to them this year uh, only seven missed tackles on 83 attempts for devin lloyd as a linebacker that is an exceptional rate and just an all-around skill set that yeah maybe he's not the you know he's not isaiah simmons He's not this guy that's going to wow you, but damn, he's just so good at everything. In this game against Stanford, 10 defensive stops of the day. Oh, yeah. They could not run the ball against him. Yeah. They couldn't run the ball against him. That was, so, I mean, easily one of his most impressive. There's just, I think here. the biggest way, the best way to put it is there's no weaknesses in Lloyd's game. Like mm-hmm. he's, he, anything he's going to be at least average to above average at that, you can, that you're going to ask him. To do. Last baller you have here, Marcus Jones, six finks, four incompletions, and a pick against USF this past week. We're talking about, Small. This is the smaller. Tiny risers. Yeah, tiny well, risers. Not Aaron Rodgers, <laughs> obviously. He's massive feet and hands. Uh, but no, 5'8", 185. And he's known for, uh, I believe he tied the record for most return touchdowns in his career uh, this season. He had the game-winning return, I believe, against, uh, was it SMU a few weeks back? Or was it? Yeah, I think it was. He has been... But on defensively, at cornerback in this game against USF, six forced incompletions, a pick. He is very physical. His his standstill burst is exceptional. Now he's again five eight one eighty five. But I think a lot of people coming in the season were just like, okay, he's probably a returner. That's where you're going to get. This guy could be a real deal slot cornerback because he had a breakup in this game where he just laid out full bore. Rocks the dude, breaks the ball up at the catch point. I, I willing to sacrifice his body. I is the kind of guy you very very easy to root for. Just a all around good football player that I think will probably could be you know one of the first true slot cornerbacks off the board. On to the fallers. Can you even? I know you have Malik Willis on here. Malik Willis, quarterback for Liberty. He had no shot. This people are going to say, oh, that's the game you got to turn on first. For Malik Willis, you got to turn on the Ole Miss tape. It's the best competition he faced. This was a disaster. Like, I think this yeah. is un, unevaluatable tape because the offensive line was legitimately awful. He was had no shot. Like you said, he had no shot in this game. He was under pressure on 17 dropbacks. 17 dropbacks. It was a disaster in a lot of ways. He, and even when he wasn't under pressure, forced to bail out a lot of clean pockets, four turnover-worthy plays, zero big-time throws. I don't think I saw a single opportunity where he could actually, like, sit back and make a decision i mean like like actually make a decision yeah. and go through the offense every single play was like a roller coaster of pressure in these different things yeah the pass blocking grades for some of the people on liberty's offense line their left tackle 0.0 left guard 57.4 it was center 60.3 no one had an above average pass blocking grade on the day it was bad i mean he was sacked nine times sacked nine times but again like he's bring some of that onto himself Four turnover-worthy plays in the game. 
it was he didn't go he didn't rise above and he could have risen above to a better degree where it's like this he could have made himself money if he looked good and he did not do that in this one quite obviously I, that i i agree with you in that if he played well against Ole miss and like the, this is four big time throws zero tournament plays no sacks i mean everyone would be saying malik willis qb1 all that stuff but i also feel that you can't a lot of the things that you felt negatively about mm -hmm. Malik Willis rung true in this game, but it wasn't one where I'm throwing him down draft boards over this, yeah. right? Like, I just don't... He's not going to be in a situation in the NFL where he, <laughs> the game ever looks like this. The yeah. game will never look like this in the NFL. So I do think you can't, like, knock him a ton, even though, obviously, mm -hmm. big concern. I mean, four turnover plays in a single game is awful. Nine sacks in a single game is awful. When the situation is ugly, it can look that ugly, per, probably for most quarterbacks, even in considered in this class. All right, Carson Strong, on the other hand, what is going on with Carson Strong? Carson Strong is not like everyone kind of likes. You know, I saw some people buzzing on Carson Strong. You know, he's got this arm talent, this big arm guy, quote unquote, looks the part. Two big time throws, three turnover worthy plays in this game, easily the lowest graded game so far this season, just a 58.7 PFF grade, took four sacks as well against San Jose State. I mean, this guy isn't playing good competition any, any given week of the year. His highest graded game was against Fresno State in week eight, but man, he is not blowing out Mountain West competition by any means. And I think that's a big concern for me yeah and they've kind of i don't want to say adjusted this offense but as the season's worn on they've realized uh if we're going to win these games we just want car strong dropping back to pass every single play and so 63 dropbacks this week 51 the week before 67 58 like the past four weeks have been insane they're just saying hey go out and win these games and so when that's the case you're not going to get the efficiency numbers of a mac jones in alabama in 2020 like that's just when you is literally all on your shoulders every single play, that's a different animal. And so have to factor that into his evaluation to a degree. And, and he does make impressive throws every single week, like the arm talent's there. But again, like some of the turnover worthy plays are ugly. The, like I said, three of them in this game threw a wheel route right to a safety. Um, just, I still don't love his pocket presence. And like in a quarterback class where, we've said it it's kind of wide open he has not in my opinion done enough to really stake claim to close to the to being close to the top of this class nick cross the last one who's gonna be on this podcast this week and you got him as a faller nick cross maryland safety what's your take here what's wrong it. well with i mean you? they got Jahan dotson is what happened yeah fair uh bit on a double move gave up five catches 84 yards just an all-around kind of ugly performance, shall we say, in this one from him. And even the speed, could he was pretty far behind Jahan Dotson on the one. Uh, it was like a slant. It was kind of like a slant and then up to the middle. Mm -hmm. He was he was behind him, but could not catch up. And we've talked about Nick Cross, track star, at six foot one, two ten. You would you would have liked to have seen him make up that ground. I think he could have. He didn't just leave his feet. He dove at him at the end whatever but just kind of an ugly game his strength is not going to be sort of his smooth hips and, and the single coverage sort of guy he is a hitter he is a guy you want flying around the line of scrimmage not as many plays on the back end as we saw in this game yeah i think you ran into a buzzsaw there with Jahan dotson i think that double move Some, yeah, has been posted everywhere yeah. on twitter i don't think anyone hasn't seen that one yet before we get to the the watch wednesdays part of this the bus watch the other bus watch breakout washed with all that got to bring up our friends at western southern it's whether it's football success or financial savvy the right questions help set the stage for winning strategies 
Western Southern is teaming up with PFF's very own Chris Collinsworth to share insights that can help put you ahead on both your fantasy and financial scoreboards. Want to hear about Chris's old playing days or behind the scenes with Alan Sunday night? How about a need to know for your financial future? Now you can ask about either or both. And every football or financial question you ask earns you a chance to win a catered party for February's big game. Check out the Chris Collins with podcasts and Western Southern's Instagram for answers to the best questions each week. Submit your questions at westernsouthern.com slash askchris. One more time, that is westernsouthern.com slash askchris. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. Remember, with Western Southern, you can rest assured on game day. Bus watch. The entire Raiders 2022-2020 draft class. Things did not go well. You know, two... This two, one's beyond This watch. one's tough. This one's tough to even discuss. You, don't, you can just throw the, the watch out of there. You have just... It's worth just going over the picks as mm-hmm. it stands. You got Henry Ruggs was pick number 12. Damon Arnett, pick 19. Both now gone within a week of each other. Lynn Bowden was pick 80. They traded him before his rookie season even started. Brian Edwards, 81, who's, you know, I guess going to be their number one wide receiver going forward. Tanner Muse at pick 100, not on the roster anymore. He's on Seattle's practice squad. So that is now four out of five top 100 picks, two first rounders, not on your roster. And then they went John Simpson is kind of a backup guard at pick 109 and Amik Robertson, who is... Uh, has struggled as an outside corner pick 139 in year two. That is a, for as much draft capital as they had, that's about as hard a whiffed draft class as, I mean, that's like 20, was it 2014 Browns level? What was the Manziel? Justin the Manziel, Gilbert. Justin Gilbert. Yeah. Is that 13? That, that's, that's at that level of just yuck. Or I guess also 2011 Browns level of Trent Richardson and Brand Whedon with the Browns of... <laughs> I have a few things there. I don't want to talk about the rug stuff a ton. Rugs, obviously, screw one of the worst things we've seen, you know, in the last few weeks. Here. It's been terrible. Rugs decision now released, whatever. But Damon Arnett, and I tweeted this. I mean, there was so much data in favor of Damon Arnett being not worth that 19 overall selection. Like there was character concerns that Mike Mayock even admitted to seeing. Chris Carter said he's not mature enough to play in the NFL yet. Yeah. Then he's 24 years old and never dominated Big Ten competition. Then he's a 20, you know, under 25th percentile athlete with short arms. What are we doing? There was too much data, in my opinion, to make Damon Arnett a 19 overall pick. And now you could say he was the media's consensus 63rd overall player. Even if you drafted him there, it wouldn't have been good. But you draft him back end of round two, top of round three, reset expectations for the kid and that he's not – a guy that has to come in and play right away. He's not a guy that has to, you know, meet first round expectations and go through all this media and all this process. Mm-hmm. Maybe things do end up differently for him, where he doesn't like, you know, struggle under the weight of these high expectations that are being a top twenty pick for the Las Vegas Raiders. The other thing I'll mention here too is that there are multiple rumors, and I've heard from multiple people. I don't even know if this is confirmed or not. Multiple people that John Gruden, in his tenure, drafted the early picks. And Mike Mayock was allowed to draft the later round picks. And the more we look at these decisions, the more it starts to kind of make sense. I mean, you look at Max Crosby and Hunter Renfro, two day three picks that have had a ton of success for Mike Mayock. And then you even look at like, um, I mean, even the Amik Robertson and John Simpson, they're still on the football team. But then there was also Mayock did come out and say, you know, he likes guys from blue blood programs. And like all their first round picks are clumsy. Yeah, but Ohio how much State, of that? He Alabama. always is, but he's never going to come out and say disagree. Like he's not going to say like, yeah. yeah, I'm not a big. Like I, agree, I get that, but I don't. 
I mean, the more you look at some, it's just uncharacter. It's it's it's, it's weird. wowing yeah. that their day three selections have like objectively had more. Success. Lynn Bowden Jr. was drafted in the third round and didn't play. They traded him. Yeah, like that doesn't even make sense. But I, I don't know. I think there's a lot of <laughs> a lot of reason to think that their day three picks. I mean, they've made more sense at the least with Amik Robertson, John Simpson. You yeah. go back to Arden Key, at least made sense as a fourth round flyer. Max Crosby has had success, and they've invested in him and tried to bring him up. It's a, it's a disaster there in Las Vegas. I don't know. Are you of the opinion that Mike Mayock needs to go out? I think there needs to be a legitimate discussion on who was making these decisions. Yeah, I mean, it, I think we're too far on the outside, too far removed yeah. to really say that with how dysfunctional it was with Gruden there as mm -hmm. well. That obviously Mark Davis knows who was had the call on these picks. Yeah. And so... If it truly was all Mike Mayock's drafting, then you got to go. Then yes, but if if it was true that it for the first rounders were all Gruden's, well then Gruden being gone was the correct decision there. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, uh, I think if Mike Mayock survives this offseason and and is drafting twenty twenty two, I think that's the last piece of evidence you need to really yeah. commit to that. That, that rumor, you know, there are pe multiple people have said that's what's happened in Las Vegas. All right, off of this bus watch the other bust. Andrew Whitworth. This is an obvious bust here. He is going to the Hall of Fame. He has both been fantastic at its peak, at his peak, and also the longevity. Like he has been a unique, rare player for the NFL. And an offensive tackle, you'd be hard pressed to find like another guy in the last like 15, 20 years that is like more notably impressive than Andrew Whitworth. So he turns 40 years old next month at a position where guys will retire at 31, 32, 33 from age like because play is declining. He's about to turn 40. Hasn't given up a pressure since week five. On 58 pass blocking snaps this past week against Tennessee, they know he has to pass the entire second half. Doesn't give up a single one. He's given up seven pressures all season long, the highest graded pass blocking tackle in the NFL. All utterly, utterly absurd numbers for someone in their prime of their career. Prime of his career was a decade ago, <laughs> you know, or should have yeah, feasibly yeah, yeah. been a decade ago. Do you care to guess any of the tackles drafted before him in the 2006 NFL draft? I, dude, I, I was nine years old in that draft. I don't know. I don't know who they were. Tabrickshaw Ferguson. Who was sick. Was sick. Winston Justice, Darren College, who, man, went to the Packers. I did not love that pick when it happened. Marcus McNeil, who Marcus McNeil made pro bowls and retired i believe like a decade ago and he retired in tw 2012. marcus mcneil was a pro bowl tackle who retired a decade ago and he's he only five picks like six years andrew whitworth yeah he had injury concerns but then andrew whitworth has outlasted him by nine seasons absolutely insane stuff if he's not a hall of famer it is a crime it is a crime breakout watch your guy who do you got <laughs> my god this zach sealer my Sealer. <laughs> sorry Barely even know. Uh, the Miami defensive tackle was originally drafted by the Baltimore Ravens in the seventh round in 2018 out of Ferris State. Hand up, did not scout this guy. He has been one of the best three, four defensive ends. He is a pro, he has that, he's six foot six, 290. He is a prototypical three, four defensive end body type. And he has the third most run stops in the NFL this season. He's one of the highest graded defensive tackles in the NFL, 79.9 overall. Also has, also has 10 pressures on the season. Suits for real. I flip on his tape, and he is—he reminds me a lot of like uh, 
the Lawrence guy in their prime, where it's just like he two gaps in his sleep. The guy is fantastic, um, has been a find for the Miami Dolphins this season. Zach Sealer, Chris Harris Jr. on Washed Watch. That's who you have next year. So I got Washed Watch. Chris Harris Jr. is one of my favorites. I know he's been on this podcast, the Two Point Drafts podcast. He's a friend. One of the most do- is he? Can we put him on Bus Watch next week? We we could. If he plays I think well. he's a. I think he's legitimate for slot cornerback. Chris Harris Jr. like revolutionized the position. Like he was one of the first like legitimately full time phenomenal. Slot cornerbacks. I think if he doesn't get in, it would be because he didn't play outside corner. Yeah. But man, I he think did. Chris Harris Jr. He was. I mean, he played outside corner, but like he would play the slot when you would go nickel. Mm-hmm. And he was kind of ahead of his time in that he was like one of the OG, like dominant zone cornerbacks, where it was like he would play in off coverage. He would make a ton of plays in the football and would lock down his side of the field. But they, those guys didn't get their respect because it wasn't, you know, people were playing man and a lot of press back then, press cover three. Whereas nowadays, those are like, that's in vogue, like his skill set's in vogue, which also is why it's a little scary that the past couple of weeks he's given up over 80 yards in both, 40 grades of coverage grades of 42.6 and 40.5. And that is, yes, he has been banged up a little bit this season, but he never graded below. 75.0 for nearly a decade in coverage. And then last season, 57.4, obviously hurt. This year, 58.7. 32 years old, Chris Harris. Maybe washed. Maybe washed. With watch, James Washington, the former Oklahoma State wide receiver, man. He was 24th ranked on PFF's draft board. And I know a big Sam Monson was a huge fan of James Washington, but he's never panned out didn't zach robinson also play with james washington a little bit? or no that was way before his i time. mean yeah that was they both went to oklahoma state yeah they both went to oklahoma <laughs> state but i remember zach robinson also like james washington did. i think he did um and we actually this 2018 draft and the 2019 draft i thought we hit the top of the wide receiver class fairly well in our evaluations we, we had calvin ridley one and it was outside of james washington that is Gavin Ridley one, James Washington two, 24th overall. DJ Moore three, Cortland Sutton four, Michael Gallup five. We, the, and guys that went before like Cortland Sutton, you had Anthony Miller go higher than those guys. You had Christian Kirk go higher than some of those guys. Um, so I think we had that a good order, just not the James Washington pick in there. Um, and it cracked me up because obviously what jogged my memory of this was Monday Night Football. He made a couple plays but obviously has been not the guy getting targets in that offense. And what cracked me up was he actually requested a trade earlier this year, and the Steelers, like, you just never heard about it again. They're just like, you're James Washington. We're not going to trade. Like, we're, we're not going to acquiesce to yeah, some yeah. four-string wide receiver requesting a trade. Poor James Washington. First-round lock. Give an update to who you have right. already locked in the first round. Only a couple more weeks of this, right? I mean, we're going through the end of the season. So end of the NFL season. Yeah, we, this oh, is going to be our. I thought you were just doing college, maybe. It's going to be our twelfth one. I was going to do it through. Actually, maybe we'll pause after the. I was going to go through bowl season all the way through the, the national championship game. Maybe we'll do a pause in there because that would be. Bring I just me think up committing to, to like twenty is going to be like no one's going to get twenty. I'm, I I could lock in twenty. Oh my I may gosh. lock in twenty. Oh my goodness! But we have Kayvon Thibodeau, Derek Stingley. Evan Neal, Aiden Hutchinson, Kyle Hamilton, Marvin Leal, Tyler Linderbaum, Garrett Wilson, Iki Aquanu, George Karloftis, Kobe Dean last week we locked in. And this week we are going to go back to the line scrimmage, offensive line this time, Mississippi State tackle, Charles Cross, going to go 
in the first round next April, should he declare with that obvious caveat of if these guys declare. But I think the one, the physical duels are obvious. They've been obvious ever since he started last year as a redshirt freshman. Um, and he's taken it to another level this season. Only 15 pressures on 553 pass blocking snaps. And that number obviously being the key thing here. He has been battle tested in the SEC and made massive strides in the run game. 87.0 run blocking grade so far this season. Doing that in the SEC, you feel good about your evaluation as as like a scout, as a GM, whatever. So I think he's a very projectable tackle that is now a first-round lock. On Love it. Love it. The trenches continue, man. You just continue to dump more offensive and defensive linemen into it, the first-round lock. It's where the talent truthfully is in this draft right now. It's edge. It's tackle. As some on the interior, but like edge tackle. And then I think in the coming weeks, cornerback will be where I'm attacking next of guys I feel good about locking in the first round. But that's, like I said, where the strength of this draft class lies. Love to see it. Let's get to these interviews now. Interviews with my guys here. Jermaine Johnson of Florida State and then Peyton Wilson, NC State. Let's get it. Now joining the Tailgate Podcast is current Florida State edge defender Jermaine Johnson. I think one of the hidden gems in the ACC, I don't think enough people are talking about Jermaine Johnson. You have been phenomenal so far this season. A transfer from Georgia for Florida State, one of the best pass rushers in the country. Really an honor to have you on the show. No, man, the honor's on mine. Thanks for having me. And, um, yeah, I'm excited to get this thing going. I, I want to start with, you know, this decision to transfer from Georgia to go to Florida State. You were with Georgia in 2019-2020. You transferred before this upcoming season and have been dominant for Florida State. But before we focus on this season, you know, talk me through that decision to transfer from Georgia, never given an opportunity to be in that full-time role for the Bulldogs. Now, obviously, played over 500 snaps for Florida State this year in that full-time role. What all went into that decision to transfer from Georgia to Florida State? Uh, there was a lot that went into it. Um, I mean, I was deciding on whether or not to enter the draft last year. Um, I was deciding whether or not to play another year at Georgia. I was deciding whether or not to transfer uh, to another university. Um, ultimately, it came down to <clears throat> uh, on what, on what I thought I was as a player. Um, I felt that, um, you know, I felt that I, I wanted a bigger role um, on a defense and I wanted more responsibility. Um, I wanted a team, uh, my team to be able to look at me in times of, of uh, in need of a play to be made. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's kind of just how I've envisioned my college career going. And, um, and, it, and it wasn't, I didn't really get that need there at Georgia. And, um, you know, the scheme just works better here for me. It's just Florida State was a better fit for me for multiple reasons. Um, I loved my time at Georgia. It was amazing. I loved the coaches. I loved the players, my brothers, the fans, definitely. I mean, they, they were nothing but supportive of me. Um, I loved everything about the University of Georgia. That, it was one of the hardest decisions I've ever had to make to leave because I chose to go to Georgia for a reason. Mm -hmm. uh, but ultimately, it just came down to um, what, what, I thought my, what I thought of myself as a player. Um, so, I mean, ultimately decided to leave to you know be in a bigger role and and um be able to play that that um four three defensive end uh like i previously did uh in junior college um mm -hmm. where i was ranked the number one junior college prospect coming out in my class um i just think it comes more naturally to me um uh, due to my 
you know, God-giving talent that I could just play a 4-3 defensive end and, and make plays based off my athleticism and, and IQ. So um, a lot of things went into that decision. Um, a lot a lot more thought went into it than, than what I could explain there. It was a really, you know, it was a stressful decision because, like I said, I love the University of Georgia with all my heart. But, um, you know, I had to decide on, on what I – thought of myself as a player. And, and I thought that, you know, I, I needed a bigger role. I deserved a, bit, a bigger role to show what I could do for a team. Um, so hopefully I've been doing that. Obviously we haven't been winning like like we've all wanted to, but, um, you know, I just, I'm just glad I could give my all to a university like Florida State. Yeah, I think it's been shown in you know, the level of play that you've had, even though it hasn't always showed up in the win column overall, you have had a phenomenal season for Florida State. And I think, you know, I bet you could speak to, too, that even in the two years that you were at Georgia, you probably learned a lot and developed a ton as a player. It is a it is a talented, talented roster and one that I've had Georgia players on this call, and they talk so much about how much they emphasize you know, run defense and, and these bloody Wednesdays or whatever they have out there in Georgia and how much they, you know, put an effort into being an SEC defense and bringing that toughness. I guess, what would you say are some of the biggest things you learned from that experience? Or even are there are there some players and coaches that come to mind that really did help you develop as a player and now obviously develop into the success you are at Florida State? I mean, it was a program as a whole. Uh, the University of Georgia, uh, the program that they have over there, obviously it's, you know, coming to fruition and showing this season. Um, but no, like like you said, former players, uh, they're called Bloody Tuesdays. Uh, Bloody Tuesdays, that's right. <laughs> super physical, super physical Tuesdays. I mean, every practice was physical, but, you know, Tuesday set the tone for the week. Um, but no, the, co- the level of competition there on both sides of the ball, you know, that pushed you to either get better or fall behind. Um, but uh, yes, 100%, I learned how I, I wouldn't be the player I am today if it wasn't for the University of Georgia. I will tell you that. Well, um, let, go ahead. No, go ahead. <laughs> I said, let's talk about the player you are today. You know, one of the you know, highest graded pass rushers in the ACC, one of the top pass rushers, pass rushers in the country in this season, 31 total pressures. What would you say this season specifically have you improved the most on or where have you seen yourself have the most development in this year that has led to this success? I know we've talked a lot about Georgia, but what about specifically to this role you're playing at in Florida State's defense, the coaching staff there, the players you're surrounded by, what has been the biggest improvement for you or the biggest development this season specifically? Uh, to be quite honest, I mean, it's just, I've been in my groove, man. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've been able to be on the field uh, as long as I've wanted to, um, I've been able to get warm. I've been able to, you know, set the tone. Um, I've been been comfortable, you know. I've gotten that that role, you know, that I've so I've wanted so badly um, by this university. I can't thank them enough, you know, for putting a, a, the responsibility on me, on um, you know, setting the tone, making a play, bringing energy to guys and my teammates for for allowing me to lead them. Um, I mean, I couldn't be more thankful for my role. Uh, but in terms of development, um, I mean, I've been working my butt off uh, for for I, I can't since I've started playing football. Um, but I mean, there's not been any particular part of my game that I've been focusing on. I've just been focused on um, getting better and and better and better and better. So, yeah. Speak, speak more to your game week preparation. You know, what all goes into, you know, preparation for an upcoming opponent, a specific offensive tackle? How much film are you watching? What tendencies are you looking for on film? And how do you implement what you're picking up in the game week into on you know, into your game plan on Sundays? Uh, obviously, uh, just like every other program, I'm sure uh, you got, you got uh, 
introduced to the team uh, that, that Sunday or Monday, depending on your team. Um, and then, I mean, your coaches or GAs will, will set, will, will create cut-ups to get you uh, cut-ups on anything you need. Uh, my, in my case, I, I get cut-ups of every O-line uh, that I go up against, um, their losses, um, their run game. I like to see how they hold their hands, how they shoot their hands high or low, uh, if they lean a lot. I mean, a lot goes into that. And um, not only that, I, if if um, a team that I'm playing has played, you know, somebody that I know, you know, I'll obviously give them a call and, and see how, how it went for them and if they have any nuggets for me. But um, yeah, that's pretty much how it goes. You just get introduced to the team. Uh, you get to know their tendencies, you know, like why off or why on the ball. They're they're more likely to run this way or, or run this play. Um, but yeah, tendency and nuggets throughout the week. And, and obviously, like we talked about before, um, just practicing hard. Uh, uh, if you practice hard, it's probably going to show up in the game. If you don't practice that hard and you don't put a lot of work into practice, it's probably going to show up in the game. So um, just practice hard and, and prepare even harder and, um, you know, preparation meets opportunity uh, comes come uh, game time. Watching your game film this season, something that I found special is your ability to use multiple moves as a pass rusher and set up different things. I think I've talked to pass rushers who felt that you just need one primary move and a counter move and to work off of that. Others have said, I want 50 moves. I want a full tool belt. What's your approach in that regard? How, how, how much do you prioritize you know, move versatility as a pass rusher, or is it just as important as to have one primary move and a counter that you can count on? You know, it's definitely important to have one or two, maybe even three moves that you feel that you have mastered that you can always go to. And also one, two or three counters off of those moves, off of mm -hmm. those primary moves in case you get overset. Um, but I, I guess to answer your question, um, when you've seen me use a variety of different moves, that comes from uh, what the tackle gives me. Like I said before, if he shoots his hands high, you know, there's kind of different moves you can use for, you know, a high hand shooter. If he shoots his hands low, there's different moves for that, especially, you know, my favorite when I go up against a big, like top heavy guy who likes to lean and shoot both of his hands. You can do a lot of moves off of that because, I mean, they, it's, it's like when a defensive player ducks their head in contact on the tackle and the offensive player can make a move to, you know, shake them. It's, it's kind of the same for a pass rusher. You know, when, when a guy leans real heavy and, and ducks his head and shoots with both hands, it's, it's kind of poor technique. And, and um, as a pass rusher, you look to take advantage of that. Looking how you know, looking at the back half of the season, I only got a couple more questions for you, Jermaine. I really appreciate the time. Um, you know, what are your team goals, or what would you say are your? Or actually, let's start with personal goals, and then we'll finish with team goals. What would you say over the last you know last three games you have here, Miami, Boston College, Florida? What are some of the biggest priorities you have from a personal perspective? What are some accomplishments you want to hit as you close out the season? If I'm going to be quite honest with you, um, I approach every game just to win. Um, mm -hmm. And then, you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a strong believer in, in you, you put the team first, all your individual accolades and, and dreams and aspirations will come shortly after. So, I mean, I just put the team first. I try to get a win. And then, you know, if I happen to have two sacks, fourth formal, whatever the heck, uh, then that's what happened. But it all comes from me trying to bust my butt and give my all for the team and get a win. I think that's a phenomenal answer. I think going 1-0 every single week and prioritizing the team first is how a lot of the greats do it. Jermaine, this was a phenomenal interview, and I wish you the best of luck moving forward. Yes, sir. Thank you. Now joining the Tailgate Podcast is current NC State linebacker Peyton Wilson. And for those who don't know the name, need to get on it. You only played 51 total snaps this year before suffering a season-ending 
arm injury and you my friend i want to talk a little bit about your injury history and some of the stuff that you've had to go through physically and mentally throughout your time both at the high school level and college level. before you do so talk to me about this injury specifically and and how this rehab has gone what all went down i think there is some some ambiguity to what actually happened i guess how is the injury rehab going and what exactly happened at the start of the season in that mississippi state game yeah so uh we're playing Mississippi State on a uh, second or third down. They throw the ball out to the uh, flats, and I go to make just a routine tackle on the running back. And when I did, I dislocated my shoulder, and I had to get surgery to get it fixed. And I'm about six weeks n- out now, and it's mm-hmm. going really well. I uh, just started doing some stuff with some weight, so it's been going really well. That's phenomenal, man. That's great to hear. Six weeks out. And I was reading a little bit more into your injury history in 2020 in that Georgia Tech game. You dislocated both shoulders and then refused to leave the game. And then at the end of the season, obviously, elected to have surgery on both those shoulders. That is absurd to me. That's crazy that obviously you had that another dislocated shoulder at the start of this season. But that game is another one where injury history continues to show up and the, and kind of the, the injury bug, the bad news, the, un, you know, the, the bad luck there shows up. Right. And how was that recovery? Uh, yeah, that one wasn't as tough, you know, because it really wasn't during the season. So it was like, just kind of like, uh, I mean, the surgeries were tough. The rehab was tough, but it wasn't as tough mentally, you know, because I don't have to sit out and watch, you know, everyone in college football play football and I don't get to, but you know, it was tough having both of my shoulders done. I wasn't able to do some of the little stuff that, mm-hmm. you know, that we can do every day. But, you know, it was it's not really, you know, I've been through a lot of injuries. When I came into college, I had an ACL. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's with injuries, it's not really that tough physically. It's more so mentally, you yeah. know, just getting back and keeping keeping your head in the game. I was going to bring those up, too. I mean, you go back to in high school, you had an ACL injury. In 2018, you had one. You have had to have gone through so much mentally. I mean, you, you throw the rehab aside so much mentally to, like, still stay committed to football and want to pursue this with all the, you know, and because, like, with injuries, too, a lot of it is just bad luck. You know, it's something that's out of your control. And even as, as committed as you are, as much as you want to stay in the game against Georgia Tech, sometimes your body is just not allowing you to do the things you want to do. What have been, I mean, to others that maybe have battled injuries, what is some of the advice you have or what are the things that have helped you get through some of this stuff mentally yeah i would just say you know be where your feet are at you know that's kind of the only thing that you can do you know it's really when you get injured it's really easy to start thinking ahead you know like when i get back this is gonna happen or you know i can't wait for this month of rehab so i could do this but you know the only thing that you can do is be where your feet are and keep your mind where you are just you know focusing every day on getting back and getting better just a little bit each day so when that period does come you will be back with all of the time that you've had this season, I want to focus now more on this season. What have been some of the biggest priorities you've had in the time that obviously you've been rehabbing? How much film have you been watching? What have you been prioritizing on that? And I guess speak to you know the relationship you still have with the people, you know the, the team, and the impact that you've had as a, as a sideline leader. Yeah, you know it's tough going down, you know, as a leader in the beginning of the season, you know, because a lot of people are looking to you, but mentally, you know, you just got injured, you can't play the rest of the season, so it's kind of tough. So, you know, I kind of was out of it for a little bit, like a week or so after surgery. And then when I got back, I got back around the team. And then against Florida State this past week, I actually made my first trip because I was a first away game since I was able to go to the games. And, you know, it's really important just to stay engaged with the team and to let them know that you're still around. You know, it even helps them to play harder because they can see that you're there and that you can't play. And, you know, just having that 
experience on the sideline and the guys that, you know, have to play now due to injuries, you know, helping them see what you see and just helping them get through the game. How much has head coach Dave Dorn, who's been on this podcast, who is a phenomenal leader in his own right and a guy that I know has had your back and supported you in a lot of your career at NC State, Describe the relationship you have with him and the impact he's had on what has obviously been a an unfortunate start to your career in some ways and obviously an unfortunate start to this season. Yeah, you know, he has a great impact just because he's such a, a faith-driven guy. And, you know, I come from a religious background, so it really helps having that guy that, you know, just keeps you, keeps the faith and just make sure that make sure that I understand that God, that I know that God has a plan for me you know, and that he doesn't make any mistakes. And he's also just really helpful, you know, just keeping your mind on football, you know, with injuries and stuff, which I've had a lot of them. You know, it's easy to, you know, kind of start not loving football anymore. It's kind of like, you know, what is what is football doing to me? But he really, you know, keeps the love for the game there. And he's such a great guy. And if you need some time, he'll give you some time. And he really understands what people go through when you get injured. And, you know, that's really helpful to have someone that, you know, can push you when you need it, but also lay back when he knows that the injury is kind of taking its toll. That I, I'm, I'm glad you said that because when I had him on, I was really impressed with the kind of the leadership qualities that he you know, even showed in that short time I had with him. I think that I'm not surprised yeah. by some of the statements that you have there. To close out this one, I only had a few more questions for you. As you close out your rehab, as you close out this last six weeks, what are your goals as you continue to obviously rehab to get back to full form, but also support this NC State team? And then the follow-up question to that, when you are healthy, what are your plans? What are your goals? What is the next step for you in this, obviously, this uh, this um, progression? Yeah, well, right now, you know, like I said, I want to be where my feet are at. So my main goal right now is helping this NC State team get to the ACC championship, helping them beat Wake Forest this weekend any way that I can. And, you know, rehab-wise, I am trying to get better each day. And hopefully, you know, it's a six-month thing. So hopefully by March, you know, I'm good to go and I'm ready to go. And as plans for after the season, I don't really know yet. You know, there's still a lot of decisions to be made. I still have a lot of thinking to do, and I don't really know where I'm at with that yet. So, Yeah, totally, man. No no reason to rush that decision either. I really appreciate the time, Peyton, and I wish you the best of luck, and I wish you a healthy, healthy next six weeks and beyond. Yeah, well, I appreciate you having me on. That's going to do it for this episode of Tailgate. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Also, send me a DM of that review on November 9th or later. And you can get a hat. First 10 to send me a DM. We'll get a hat, a tailgate hat. Until next time, Austin Gale, Mike Renner, the producers, Stone O'Shell, Max Chadwick, Dave Sofaro, and Mike Quinn. Tailgate. Tailgate.